Hey, it's Bianca of Fintech Files. And Nora. And Annika. This week, we're bringing you one of our standout season two episodes, revolutionizing the future of finance in the Middle East through open banking with Emir Ichik, head of business development from Tarabot Gateway. Explore how open banking is transforming the finance landscape in the Middle East in one of our favorite season two episodes. Before we dive in, share your thoughts with us at fintech-podcast at bcgplatinian.com. Tell us who is your dream guest, suggest a topic you'd love to hear to cover us, or just say hi. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And now, here's our episode with Emir Ishik from Terrabook Gateway. Maybe we can kick it off with a little challenge for you. So how would you explain the business model of Terrabook Gateway to your grandma? <laughs> oh, that would be very difficult. Rest in peace to my grandma. But no, in, in, in all seriousness, I, I, I have one good way that I would explain it to her, which is, you know, basically, so when she was, you know, around, she would have accounts from multiple different sources, bank accounts from multiple different sources. So one of them was obviously that she was getting her retirement pension into one specific account that she had. She also had some rental income from properties. And she also had alternative sources of income from um, agricultural activities from back in her hometown. So at the end of the month, when she was, you know, reconciling all of her income and expenses, and, you know, obviously uh, we'd be helping her out with that as a family, they would be channeled from different accounts, different banks, uh, making things very fragmented. And uh, this was, you know, we're talking like 12 years ago. So lo and behold, uh, if I were to explain it today, I would say just imagine a scenario where you can have all of your banks aggregated, you know, or coupled into one single dashboard that can measure for you what your incomes are, what your, what your liabilities are, um, and essentially what your total net worth is. Uh, and you'd be able to record your cash flow all from one single dashboard rather than manually going into your statements, paper statements, and, you know, sort of trying to put something to paper. So you'd, you'd spend a lot less time doing that and a lot more time, you know, enjoying doing the things you love. And uh, that is enabled by what I do today, which is open banking. Um, and that's, that's, you know, the account information services use case. I think I would just, if I were explaining it to my grandma, I would keep it as simple as that. If I were to explain it a bit more technically, of course, I would say that we're providing not only a data, but also a payments infrastructure that enables banks, fintechs, you know, merchants, um, really to build the next generation of financial products and experiences. How so? Could you explain a little more on the possibilities open banking provides? Yeah. So, you know, the possibilities are endless, to be honest. It, it goes from, we really start with the basics, which is what we call open banking. I, I really think that's just a matter of, you know, a few or, or several uh, basic core open banking APIs that are exposed through to the third-party ecosystem and, and through to end users. And um, I, I also think that when you look at open finance and then eventually even open data, it also allows non-banks or non-financial entities as well to embed finance Uh, within their offerings. And this is particularly useful. You know, there's a retail side of things and there's also the corporate side of things. So you've got two gigantic 
opportunities that, that open banking and essentially open finance can serve. And uh, if I'm looking at specifically from the retail perspective, I would talk about the first thing that would come to my mind is what we call thin-filed customers. So basically customers that have bank accounts. Right? Uh, if you look at Saudi Arabia, for example, about uh, most of the majority of the population, I would say 70% plus are actually banked. Um, but there are also quite a few customers that perhaps, you know, there's not a lot of information on, especially from the bureaus, um, perhaps some fragmented information from the, the social insurance organizations as well. But needless to say, I mean, all of those entities in Saudi, all of the governmental entities, all of the credit bureaus are extremely developed. I must say so myself. But, you know, more transactional data directly from the account itself with the user's consent can help with things like verifying a customer's income, uh, assessing their affordability, and then, you know, as a result of that, really just providing them with better credit rates and then the lenders with more confidence as well around these these uh, credit decisions. Mm -hmm. As you just mentioned already Saudi Arabia as an example. So you are mainly active in the GCC regions or in the Middle East. How would you say is open banking different in this region compared to the rest of the world? If I were to compare, you know, Saudi Arabia to the rest of the world, it's actually very similar, right? Um, a lot of the standards that have been adopted are benchmarked from, you know, particularly I would say from the UK OB regulations that were implemented um, a while back. But if I were to look at, you know, particularly the nascencies within the Saudi market, I could say that, you know, the, the central bank is, is very heavily invested in, in open banking. Uh, the, the team is, is very communicative to the rest of the ecosystem in terms of what kind of requirements that they, they have from them. They also look at things from a, a very product-oriented approach. So they, they've come out already with specific use cases that they want third parties and fintechs and banks to adhere to, both on the retail and corporate side. And, and those use cases, for that matter, are quite sophisticated. So um, as they continue to, to develop the regulations and develop the frameworks, Uh, they'll go as far as even, you know, asking really the market, listening to the market and asking the constituents and the participants uh, specifically, you know, for some ideas um, and for some use cases that they think the market can can benefit from. And creating that kind of cohesive and collaborative ecosystem is really what um, I believe sets up this region for success through the regulators. It sounds like a very customer-centric approach, uh, quite remarkable for a regulator. Absolutely. Since we already talked about Saudi Arabia, um, Saudi Arabia's open banking scene is gathering pace under the Saudi Central Bank, also called SAMA. Emir, what are the changes we're currently seeing here? Yeah, so they've introduced their open banking policy as early as last year. And uh, there, you know, there have been a couple of iterations of it since then. They've updated their regulatory sandbox framework as well. Uh, to be open to both local as well as international applicants. Uh, this is a very significant uh, change they've done because they've actually moved from a cohort-based approach to a basically door-is-always-open approach, right? And, and that adds more flexibility for those that are applying whenever they are ready and not determined on when there is a, a cohort uh, that is being established for licensing-related um, engagements. Furthermore, I, I think I touched upon it a bit earlier, but I, I do want to, you know, uh, hone in on it a bit more. Uh, 
They've also released an account information services framework, which highlights all of the you know technical specifications, the operational guidelines, uh, the use case, you know the the conformance requirements that are both required from the third party providers, i.e., the technical service providers, and then the AISPs and eventually the PISPs, uh, as well as the banks on the supply side of, of the ecosystem. Uh, and you know these frameworks highlight today some you know eight eight nine different use cases that address the retail and corporate front front some some that include you know uh, as simple as personal financial management use cases all the way to things like the zakat tax calculators and you know another also i would say inspiring and notable notable development from sama that i'm seeing on the ground is really how proactive they've been with a lot of the stakeholders in the market if it comes to some sort of new requirement, like a, a certification process, or if you know there's some uh, feedback on the ground in terms of you know onboarding formalities, they are very quick to communicate that to all of the players on the ground as a, a guiding principle for the regulations. For the players on the ground, what exactly um, or how exactly are, are those players here thinking about fintechs? Um, leveraging the the idea of open banking to to make their products and also services. Yeah, I think what's what's particularly important is you know this all of the fintechs that are you know potentially looking at expanding into the KSA fintech market. Those uh, when you're looking at local you know entrepreneurs as well, it's it's really just uh, an, an ecosystem if you will, that's that's being built around these frameworks that hopefully at some point will go beyond just the regulation to, you know, different ways of innovating value-driven use cases that are also commercializable across the whole ecosystem, whether it's the bank or whether it's the fintech or whether it's an NBFI that that are rolling out fintech solutions in the market. So this, this first of all, allows quicker time to market, quicker Go to market for fintechs that are dependent on open banking solutions. In some cases, they are open banking providers themselves. And then in other cases, they are providers that support open banking solution providers or open banking solutions themselves for that matter. So the most important, you know, part of this really is that the fintechs, the TPPs are mainly looking towards bank coverage, right? That OB platforms, open banking platforms, sorry, using acronyms here, <laughs> uh, can provide for them. And really, the very important commodity here is that fintechs can integrate through one API. I like to call it one nation, one API, um, that will allow them to connect through multiple banks simultaneously. And that's what, you know, for example, companies like Tarabud Gateway are aiming to achieve and, and enable for the whole ecosystem. Besides Taraboot Gateway, are there any um, other fintechs we, we should be aware of? Are there any cool success stories you could already share with us? I think the main success story that I would like to highlight is really just Sama's progress and their approach to you know this whole open banking implementation. And you know it's it's going to be interesting to see some of these use cases going live as early as this year itself. It'll be you know also equally as, or if not, you know, significantly in terms of volumes, driving traction, payments use cases that are also probably going to be released sometime later this year. And so I, I think there's, you know, uh, there are a lot of fintechs that are focusing on 
you know, some retail use cases today that are on the market. You look at uh, the nimble players like Mala and, and uh, Drahim that are growing significantly um, in the PFM space. And then you've got, you know, banks that are also conducting significant investments towards the space to set up their infrastructure so that they can really in the future uh, drive monetizable opportunities as well as really just market-related or market-specific use cases that will allow customers more choice and more more variety, adding to their financial wellness. And from an overarching perspective, I think one one term which directly comes to my mind when talking about the progress of Saudi is the Saudi Vision 2030 and, and the overall national transformation plan. How does open banking fits into this? Open banking has it, it's been a key policy. What's also um, great to see is a lot of uh, mandates that have been appearing. So, you know, they want, Sam is looking to have 500 fintechs actually build, uh, build up their offerings in the kingdom uh, within that time frame. You've got, you know, big conglomerates like STC that are putting together large, very large funds, you know, upwards of a billion dollars uh, at a time uh, where they want to see unicorns and unicorns in the, in the dozens come out of this regional market as well. So there's a lot of investment and, you know, just from a personal purview, really, of the market, I, I can even personally, I'm personally experiencing a lot of banks, a lot of, you know, big fintech entities, a lot of big tech entities as well that are hungry for projects. They have an appetite to launch new solutions into the market using, you know, a new railway. I, in this specific segment, we're talking about open banking uh, and open finance. And, you know, in the future, I think that, As this space develops, right, and we create uh, the right type of infrastructure, it's going to be very supportive for local entrepreneurs and local business owners as well, because they're going to be able to come up with, you know, very sort of lean, nimble companies focusing on one sort of simple API or one simple product at a time that is going to be able to scale up really quickly because there will be a blue ocean opportunity for them. And that's all going to be enabled by infrastructure providers by like Tarabit Gateway, like open banking regulations um, that really come in the form of regulators as innovators. So all of that together really supports uh, the National Transformation Plan. Well, that's really cool. So we can see, we can tell Saudi is set up for success in this area. So I've understood the regulator is actually quite an innovator in Saudi, but also in the region, I assume. And also there's a lot of buzz around Well, very cool growing fintechs. So how is it with the incumbent banks? I mean, open banking is not just about fintech. Actually, from my experience, <laughs> I know that when it comes to data, a lot of banks, they really want to take, <laughs> but not give. So how easy is it to get actually data from banks? Aren't they very possessive about it? Very possessive. And... and uh... <laughs> Very possessive and rightfully so. It would be very difficult in any circumstance, especially in, in uh, Saudi Arabia, because they have very stringent cybersecurity and data protection guidelines. Uh, data, you know, in, in one aspect, for example, is, has to reside within the kingdom. It cannot uh, exit the borders of the kingdom. It's, it's very strictly monitored. If you wanted to source, as a, as a fintech player, if you wanted to source data from a bank, then it would have to go through multiple multiple approval process that can take uh, an extremely long time. But I think that banks are also 
at least, you know, from the incumbents, the ones that are sort of looking to build a business model out of this. And what's actually been very interesting on sort of a tangent is how a lot of banks are now building open banking departments. And I think that's also come as part of the mandate for the open banking regulation. You'll see a lot of, you know, uh, responsible department heads and, and team members in the banks that have, you know, open banking titles attached to their roles and, and mandates. And uh, so, you know, just based on looking at the benchmarks that have happened outside of Saudi, looking at how the Saudi market itself is developing in terms of a, uh, a greenfield sort of approach, it's all governed by what we call consents. So it's really just democratizing the data and, and providing it back into the hands of the customer. So the only way that a bank would be able to share data, especially through the open banking railway, is if a customer has provided their consent to be able to ask for that data or, or to have that data shared with a licensed player. And then, you know, the other part of this as well is the TPPs, the, the fintechs uh, that are consuming this information and essentially exchanging it as well, have gone through a grueling licensing process to be able to do that. And they have connected directly to the banks through their API integrations. And so there's no sort of scraping uh, going on. It's a prohibited practice for that matter. It might change in the future, right? If they've developed an agency model like the UK does. So that's essentially where, you know, the data will be shared. It's in a controlled environment. It's based on API calls only. And all of that information is encrypted in transit and at rest through a middle layer integration that uh, facilitates private public key exchanges and, and so on and so forth. So I always like to look at things from a process perspective. Can you maybe guide me through that a little bit? So imagine there's a fintech, for example, or any third party that wants to get a certain type of data that another bank can provide. So first I have to register with the central bank. Did I get that right? Mm -hmm. And what next? Now I want to get that data. How would that work? Yeah, so there's usually, there's a, there's a compliance process, if you will. There's, there's a due diligence process and then there's uh, also a lot of cybersecurity testing and, and a lot of requirements that you know, the governing authorities will rightfully uh, ask from these entities, all the way from business continuity to disaster recovery plans to risk management and governance processes, investigations on their actual, uh, the maturity level of their software solutions. So, uh, you know, there's a whole process that, uh, that an entity would have to go through to actually get the license itself so that they can, you know, operate and then integrate directly to the banks and perhaps in the future as well, that um, would enable them to power other providers that may not want to go through the same grueling process, uh, similar to the agency model uh, that we've, we've seen in the UK. Some of the things that are also being discussed in, you know, the entirety of MENA that uh, have been observed in, in Europe, like the passporting of open banking licenses and things like that. But as, as things stand right now, there's, there's basically a whole registration process where, you know, you've got to fulfill the regulatory requirements, but then you've also got to be able to integrate to the banks. And when you integrate to the banks, there are certain uh, protocols that you need to follow as a TSP or a TPP and that they need to follow as a bank when, you know, whitelisting the providers, when consuming their certificates that need to be approved by a dynamic client registry. Uh, and then there's a lot of, you know, QA, QC testing that goes into two different environments, which is really first the testing environment, i.e. the sandbox, you know, connecting to that, then um, proving the UAT and then going into production and doing the same thing before actually being able to go live. 
with some sort of, you know, no object or notification to the central, you know, banking authorities that, that you're going live with a product in the market that, that utilizes open banking. All right. So open banking does not mean just wild west in terms of everybody gets my data. It actually sounds very, very strictly uh, regulated. Very, very strictly regulated, you know, and it's, it's in adherence to customer data protection laws. And those customer protection data laws are constantly evolving and, and getting strengthened. And then you've got this whole consent management piece, which is really critical to open banking in terms of, you know, the end-to-end -end encryption of the data when it's in a transit and at rest. It uses modern ciphers. Requests are cryptographically signed and chained using public and private key frameworks. So yeah, it's limited to regulated and approved entities, but it's also process-oriented, like you mentioned. You just mentioned the end-to-end -end encryption part. Are there any other challenges which basically prevent us from being a truly open finance economy here? What still needs to be done? Maybe also talking about a global perspective here. I think, yeah, definitely there's a lot to be done still. I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm, of course, painting a very, very good picture. But the truth is that there's there's a lot there's a lot to be done on the ground. There's a lot of granular details. There's a lot of logistics and there's a lot of operations that need to happen. Really, there's a lot of reiteration that needs to happen until, you know, we, if you will, reach the next level or the next stage or the next version of of where we are today in this space in this region. It took a long time for regulations in in UK and and Europe to develop and create a marketplace out of open banking where you have actual marketplaces that list out all of the licensed providers publicly that you can connect to and really conduct these end-to-end -end, uh, integrations through API, through self-serve. And that all traces or retraces back down to the core part of these solutions, which is the user journey, looking at the end user, the end user's adoption rate, looking at how, basically being very customer-centric about the whole thing, whether we're looking at Retail is one thing, I think, which, which uh, we tend to focus on a lot today. Um, but I'm seeing tremendous opportunity that is just going to be creeping up on us in the corporate finance and trade finance, for that matter, space, especially when you've got you know, uh, possibilities like being able to exchange a letter of guarantee APIs or, or um, you know, credit guarantee APIs that will help fund the whole supply chain and invoice financing process. And then tying that together with Payment optimization as well, massive volumes in that space. It's convenient across the board from the consumer to the provider. And this was already a cool outlook into, into maybe future use cases here of open banking, specifically thinking about trade finance here. Yeah? Um, I can really imagine that this will be an opener for banks to improve in this area. I would put a lot of my eggs in trade finance if, if I were to you know, sort of observe the outlook of or analyze the outlook of, of uh, open banking, especially You know, there's a lot of mandates coming from the central banking authorities, whether it's in Saudi or even UAE. Uh, if you just look at the sheer SME population and, you know, how many of them today are underserved, there is a strict mandate that I know a lot of banks are looking at sort of adopting to serve the SME ecosystem. And that will, that will be followed by and, and, you know, pertain to being able to assess their financial health, to be able to assess um, their transactions and their cash flows in real time using uh, open uh, banking APIs and then uh, really just streamlining a lot of the operations that go with, you know, providing loans, providing invoice-based or supply chain sort of financing to help procurement operations. And then, yeah, like I mentioned earlier as well, to not to sound like a bro broken record, but 
the the payment optimization is is going to be huge. It's going to be maybe less in volumes compared to the retail market, but massive in terms of ticket sizes. Isn't that a promising outlook? Thank you very much, Emir, for these exciting insights for me personally into the, the GCC region and especially the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, but also, of course, into the open banking ecosystem. I must say I now understand better how it works. And I'm also, it calms me very much to hear about the privacy considerations in place. So I'm very much looking forward to the growth in this area and, of course, to hearing more from you and Taraboot Gateway in the future. Thank you so much, Nora. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast today as well. This has been Fintech Files, a podcast from BCG Platinian. This season, we'll dive deep into the groundbreaking ideas shaping the future of Fintech. And we want to hear from you, our listeners. What topics would you like us to cover and who are your dream guests? Drop us a line anytime at fintech-podcast at bcgplatinian.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week.